Good morning and greetings in Jesus' name. So I brought a, a, a preaching prop along this morning, <clears throat> but as we look in this um, in this book for, or yeah, as I look for some repeated words in the scriptures, came to this one in Haggai chapter one, <clears throat> and um, we have actually two sets of them. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, two sets in this passage. Uh, the one found first in uh, verse six, we have earneth wages, and then earneth wages is repeated right there, only to put it in bags with holes. And then we also have, <coughs> excuse me, we have a phrase just be at the end of verse 5, and again at the end of verse 7, of consider your ways. And so I'm using uh, that for us to um, consider this morning in a title for a message, Consider Your Ways. The phrase, consider your ways, is an interesting one. It literally means to put your heart on your road, or on the roads that you're traveling. We're called to actually think what, about what really matters, and see if the road you're traveling on <clears throat> takes you where you want to go. So in these next 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, well, we're going to try to do that. Put your heart on your roads. Now there are times when, when we as, as individual believers and also I think as a, as a corporate church here at Peckway, we, we need to do this. Consider our ways. Specifically, are we, are we thinking properly or correctly? Are we investing as God would, want, God, God would want us to with our, our time, our money, and our resources. Is, is God pleased with what he's seeing from, from Ben and from the rest of us? Is our intention for the kingdom of God for his glory? Is that in our focus? Is the path I'm taking right now, is it going to deliver is it going to bring the harvest that God and I are hoping for? Well, the context here in Hag Haggai chapter 1, <clears throat> apparently the temple, uh, the house of God, was in need of some attention. Um, it was in a state of, of deterioration and waste. Uh, we believe the temple had been destroyed during the destruction of Jerusalem after which God's people had been taken to Babylon for 70 years of captivity. At this interval in, in, in our morning text, um, I think God's people had been back in Jerusalem for maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, I'm not exactly sure, but they've been here for a few years. And yet the temple hadn't gotten the attention that God would have liked to see it get. Flying in waste, broken down, probably rubble all around. I think the altar was set up, they could worship there, but it was still in lots of, lots of need. 
Now, according to verse 4, they, they apparently had time to build their own homes. They um, took some time to make sure they were in nice shape. It says sealed houses. Uh, I don't know what that was, but it, it, I think it was actually something pretty nice. Other translations use the word like paneled walls or uh, luxurious houses. So verse 6, we have this uh, consider your ways. Uh, we, ha we have verse 6 sandwiched between the two consider of your ways. So let's read again. Let's again read uh, verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> this is where most of our, our morning will be spent. Now therefore saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have so much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now again, I have a preaching prop here this morning, and I'd like two young men to come up and help me uh, give an illustration here. So I didn't even look if you two men are here. So I would like to have Ethan Glick and um, Caleb Stolzfus, if you would come up here to the platform and help me. Now, I picked you two men because you're, you're strong and you're, you're very industrious. And I also picked you because I think your parents are pretty serious about teaching obedience. I really need some obedient young men here. So come on up here. We're going to talk about this a little first. So I have two bags of money here. And uh, they're both filled with, with money. I found enough of coins to, to fill up two bags. And uh, let's just pretend that, that the, the contents in these two bags um, is your money. It's actually something you've accumulated for a long time. Now, you're not, you're not very old yet, but, but you've actually lived about 70, 80 years, and, and you've, you've accumulated this money. So this is your total worth life savings, and uh, you've worked hard. You, you've been working day after day, year after year, and you finally have a nice big bag of money. So, what do you do with money? Spend it, right? Isn't that kind of what you do with money? You, you save it up and you spend it. Well, um, so I, like I told you, I, I chose you because I know you can really get things done and you, you're serious, your parents were serious about teaching obedience. Um, you see that you have a chair over there on my left. Right there, I put a chair. And then there's one over here on my right. All right. Um, Let's pretend that the distance between the two chairs <clears throat> is a span of life. Okay, that's your 80 years. Um, during the time that it takes you for, to get from one chair to the next um, is, is, you know, it's, it's about 80 years. And um, your whole life is kind of wrapped up in that short time. It's going to take you to get from one chair to the next. Um, have you ever noticed that out in the cemetery there's tombstones? And I, I took a picture of one yesterday just to help us give an illustration here. Um, if you look up there at that uh, slide there, you'll see that there, there was a, a, a lady that was here at this church and she died uh, well back in 1918, so most of us here don't remember her, but some of us do. Um, 
Caleb, what was her name? Can you, can you read that? Ruth King. Yeah, that's her name. Um, Ethan, when, when was she born? 1918. That's almost, that's over 100 years ago. And when did she die, Ethan? 1998. 1998. So what's in between there? What do you see in between the 1918 and the 1998? Just a, just a little line, right? Just kind of a dash. Uh, that line is actually a little longer than some tombstones have, but what we refer to it as a dash. Now, sometimes when you see a dash, it's a little shorter than that usually. Uh, your, your grammar teacher, your English teacher will tell you it's a hyphen, but we're gonna call it a dash this morning, okay? Just for our illustration, we'll call it a dash. So that dash, we're saying, depicts a lifetime. That's actually how long it's going to take you to get from one chair to the next chair with your bag of money. Okay? That's your dash. Um, so that's how long it's going to take you to spend your money, too. Just a dash. So how long do you think it's going to take you to get from one chair to the next? Now, you're not allowed to run, but you're allowed to walk as fast as you can. How long do you think it'll take you? 20 seconds or so, not real long, all right? That's your total lifespan. Now the Bible actually talks about uh, other illustrations that we have to, to, to kind of define what a life looks like. Um, so do you remember what else we have in the Bible that tells us our life is like? It's a real short time, do you remember that? Should we ask some others to help us here? What are some other, um, Definitions that God gives us in his word that tells us our life is like. Like a vapor? What else? A hand breath? A weaver's shuttle. It moves fast, right? I think it also talks about a, a, night in, a watch in the night. There's at least three or four that I could think of. Well, let's, let's think about let's think about a vapor. You know what a vapor is? So in the wintertime, you go outside and you blow some breath into the air, you see a vapor? How long does it take for it to dissipate? About as long as a dash, right? I mean, it's really, really short. And your hand breath, it's not, not very wide. And a watch in the night is like going to sleep at night, and you wake up the next morning and you're like, oh, that was a short time, right? Watching the night. All right, now I've got a few rules for you uh, that, that you need to pay attention to. One is, uh, you're not allowed to run. You can walk as fast as you can, but you, I never like to see people running in church, so we're not running. Um, and the second one is you don't stop, okay? When you start your dash, you don't ever stop until you get to the end of the dash. People that stop actually died, and they can't spend their money, so you don't want to be stopping. And the third one is um, <clears throat> you see these, these things have two sets of drawstrings. You get, you, you're allowed to have... You, you need to put your hand on one on each one of these drawstrings. That's the only way you're allowed to touch this bag, just from the top, okay? I have an extra bag here just so you can kind of see this. So when you carry this bag, this is how you're going to carry it. You're not allowed to touch any other part of the bag, right? You remember that? So Ethan, what are the three rules? Not allowed to run. You're not allowed to stop. There you go. Can you repeat the rules? Just like that. You got it. 
All right, so I'm going to take these over there. And put them on the chair. And you can come over here. And when I, I'm going to go up the platform, I'm going to say go. And when I say go, this is going to be your, your bag. So you're going to stand right here. And Ethan, you're going to stand right here. This, you're going to probably go grab it, and you're going to make your dash, right? Let me get this podium out of your way. Okay, I'm going to say one, two, three, go, and you can go, right? One, two, three, go! Well, you got to shake your bag a little bit there, Caleb. Oh. Yesterday, I, I tried to, to make sure it was working, and the one bag was a little, didn't work so good, but uh, thank you. You can go sit down now. You can just let your bags right there. Oh, you did good. You kept your, you kept your, you, you walked, and you didn't stop, and you kept your hands where you were supposed to. So you, 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 uh, you were nice and obedient. Thank you. Now, I don't know of any other passage in the Bible that better describes our feverish, yet ineffective activity of our present day. And I confess that my own life is more like this verse 6 than I care to admit. And God calls us to consider our ways. You have so much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, there's none warm. You earn wages only to put them in bags with holes. Haggai's first remark there in verse 6, that the people had sown much and harvested little, uh, we assume that farming was their chief occupation. And it's the equivalent of saying that they were always working. Working and working and working and working. They're like the people today who take on extra jobs. They, first of all, work a 50-hour week, and then they have several more jobs beside that. It's an illustration of, of men who go to work and work through lunch and stay after five and just, you know, do all the work they possibly can or make as much money as they possibly can. It depicts us who are always rushing around to try to get ahead. Yet reality is we have little to come, little comes of it. They're like the person in the Pennsylvania Dutch expression who says, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. And yesterday when I, I found that, I think I found it on the internet, I wondered why they said it's a Pennsylvania Dutch expression. So, so does it depict our lifestyle or is it our grammar that's in need? Neither of them are complimentary. You know people like this, don't you? Maybe you're one of them. So concerned about working every possible moment, moment, so concerned that maybe they'll miss one turn of the revolving door. 
Yet they seem like on a treadmill, never getting anywhere. They're running up the escalator, the escalator two steps, of a time, two steps at a time while it's coming down faster than what they can climb. It's, it's a picture of extreme frustration. Frustration, exasperation, even in the midst of having enough. A number, a number of these phrases here in chapter 6 uh, kind of allude to this. It says, you eat, but you don't have enough. You have enough to eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you just aren't satisfied. You have clothes to put on, but again, they're not adequate. Here the people were eating, they were drinking, they did have clothes to wear, but they weren't satisfied, they weren't content. And therefore they always went about through life longing to get what they just were never quite able to grasp. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Now, I guess we should probably all look at ourselves here, right? Are, are we actually content? And if not, why not? Do you, do you not have enough of food to eat? Do you have, you don't have enough of clothes actually to wear? It, it, I don't think there's anyone here like this. Most of us have too much to eat. Most of us have too many clothes. So when you look at this verse here in 1 Timothy, the only other missing ingredient would be that maybe there's not godliness in us. Is that right? If we have enough to eat, and we, don't ha and we have enough clothes, and we're still not content, does that mean we're not godly? I think it at least implies that. Just two applications that I'm calling us to consider here this morning. The first one, our body is the temple of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Now, I think we can agree together this morning here that God in 2021 is not nearly, is not so overly concerned about a temple in Jerusalem today. He, he's making his dwelling right, right, right here within us. Right here within our body, or within our church body. And while it's okay, I'm suggesting it's probably even appropriate to take good care of the condition of our, our physical body, we're, we, we, you know, it's good, it's appropriate to eat healthy, it's appropriate to have good hygiene. Uh, it's appropriate to care that you combed your hair before you came to church this morning. It's even appropriate. He doesn't necessarily uh, reprimand them for having nice houses. It's just that they 
left his house lying ruins. It's obvious to us from this text and other scriptures that over and above this outward body, this, this flesh we walk in, uh, God wants a dwelling place that is inwardly pure. He wants, he wants a residence that is fit for him to live in without sin. Without, yeah, he, he, a, a fit place for him to dwell in. A living, a living condition that he is pleased to inhabit. Even find pleasure in saying, I dwell in Paul. I dwell in Rachel. Do you think God is pleased to say, that's mine, that's where I live. Or I dwell at Peckway. Can God say that about you and I? Can he say that about Peckway? Is he asking me to consider my way? The second application that I think we can make from this is God is a king, and he has established a kingdom, and he has invited all of us as followers of him to get involved in this great work. You get to be involved in the kingdom of God building his kingdom and it's a work and it's endeavor that's going to go on into infinity forever and we get to be involved and while many of us here this morning say you know we've, we've joined uh, these ranks we've joined this great work promoting and building the kingdom of God the reality is so many times we get sidetracked from building his kingdom and start building our own kingdom or building a kingdom that's just going to burn up. We're so, we, we tend to get sidetracked and, and put so much energy into a kingdom that is just, it's just going to go up in smoke and ashes before too long. And if we're, not, if we're not willing and serious about doing what he says here, considering our ways, it, it's just real easy to, to put most of our energy, most of our time, and most of our resources, most of what we work hard for day after day after day, into bags with holes. Jesus says, put your energy, your time, and your money and resources into a place where money bags will never get holes. Matthew 6, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The folks that Haggai was prophesying to in today's text, in their, in their actions, they were claiming that God's interests need to take back seat of my own interest. I'll, I'll spend, I'll go build my house, but you know, God's house isn't that important. They were doing some good things. Um, they were doing some allowable things, building shelter for their families, <clears throat> providing for their families. But the good that they were doing was being done to the neglect of the best. That's so easy for us to fall into. Doing good, but neglecting the best. To borrow New Testament terminology, they were not allowing their love for God to abound yet more and more in all knowledge and in all judgment. Choosing the excellent. 
They had skewed priorities. They had delayed in their obedience. And this resulted in them becoming distracted and eventually living in disobedience. Delayed obedience often results in eventual disobedience. When God tells us to do something, it is so important that we follow through. We need to have the attitude and the spirit that the psalmist had. I thought on my ways, he, see, he considered his ways, I thought on my ways and turned my feet onto thy testimonies. I made haste and I delayed not to keep thy commandments. Psalm 119, 59 and 60. I like the picture of this, of this psalmist. He, 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 he saw God. He recognized that God was, was asking him to consider his ways. And it says he turned his feet. He went a different direction. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is not always the way I respond to God. It's always to my disadvantage when I do that. When our Heavenly Father calls us to something, calls us to obey a command, especially if it's one that, you know, I don't feel like obeying. Even though Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, sometimes I think my way is better. It's never. It's never better. So I have two potential hindrances during the dash. The first one is the fear of man. I think this is a really, really bad hindrance for us as we're walking from one chair to the next, as we're going through life. Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You actually believe that? By nature, uh, we're, we're a people that are very conscious. It's easier for us to be more concerned about what people think than about what God thinks. That, we're, by, that's by nature. We just, we're just built that way. Here it says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. A snare is not something you were planning to be caught in. A snare is a surprise. It's a surprise captivity or bondage. No one ever plans to be snared. And so God is calling us not to fear man, but to fear him and, and avoid the snares. <clears throat> we also have some sobering words from, from Jesus in Matthew 10, verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Some of you got the text from Curtis this week about the gangsters that were killed. And they were, yeah, just a bit before their death, they were challenged to consider their ways. It wasn't very long until they, they both, were, I'm sure they're wishing they would, be considered, they would have considered their ways now. A good, healthy fear of God will be such a blessing for us as we make the dash through life. He has a few rules for us to follow. And while we may even think sometimes those rules are countercultural to us, we need to remember that, that that should be expected. We live in a society, in an environment that is ungodly. 
And so it shouldn't surprise us that God's rules are counterculture to what most people are doing and living. The second potential hindrance is, number two, love of sin versus love of righteousness. Now, maybe it's a bit bold or, or harsh or brash to suggest we might love sin. One of my prayers for myself this year and for us as a church is that I would, I would more hunger after righteousness. Because I know that when I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, a lot, of these, a lot of the snares will be avoided. It takes so, it takes, if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it's going to take care of so many of the, of the um, obstacles and, and the things that sidetrack us during the dash. Love of sin prevents us from immediate obedience. You know, we, we like our pleasures. So we tend to delay obedience and maybe just kind of hope that God won't ask us to do this or that. Well, God doesn't change, does he? His word is always true. It's always never going to change. So immediate obedience is the best thing we can do. Is it safe to say that many of us would rather suffer the consequences of giving into sin then pass up the pleasures of sin? Is the temporal short pleasure of sin more gratifying, more attractive than the long-term consequence of sin? That's why Jesus warns us in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. See the countercultural uh, environment there? Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, as you look at this, at this text in Haggai chapter 1, especially verses 5, 6, and 7, isn't, isn't this really a picture of, our, of my generation, of your generation? More cars, more houses, more games, more vacations. Isn't that what we're doing? And yet people are wretchedly unsatisfied, unfulfilled. Maybe you get up in the morning and you ask yourself, is this, is this really what it's about? Is this what life is supposed to be like? If so, maybe, just maybe, it is God working in your life. Okay, maybe God is working in your heart if you actually feel that way. You see, it wouldn't be the first time that God sent emptiness to his people so that he could awake them up from their idolatry and, and apathy. We have another verse in Psalm. It says, He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. 
this is the context of the Israelites complaining that they had no flesh to eat. All they had was this white manna. And they were tired of it. And they were remembering with fondness what they used to have back in Egypt, from leeks and the garlics and all kinds of stuff. They begged for different food, and God eventually gave it to them. He gave them abundance of meat. He gave them this, that meat in the form of quails. It says he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their heart. You, you see, they got what they wanted, but they lost what they needed. They were physically full and spiritually empty. Because of their complaining, because of their lack of contentment, because of their desire for things that they used to be able to have, God sent leanness to their soul. Just because a thing is permitted to occur does not necessarily mean that God ordained it or that it's a source of blessing for us. God allowed Lot to pitch his tent towards Sodom, didn't he? Not necessarily because it was a good thing. In fact, God knew. God had to know that it was going to be for his spiritual, or for at least his family's spiritual detriment. Is it possible that when we pray at times, that we actually ask God for things that will come with leanness? Is it possible that we might ask God for the wrong gifts or the wrong blessings? Lord, uh, would you please send us rain so we have a, a nice corn crop? Or would you, Lord, would you please bless this job that uh, we've contracted and make it productive? Uh, Lord, would you, you know, you fill in the, you fill in the blanks. Consider your ways. Are we desiring and praying for things that will come to us with God's blessing or with leanness of soul? A well-fed body that houses a lean soul should be extremely alarming to us. A well-fed body that houses a lean soul should be alarming. If that's our condition, we need the words of Haggai to speak to us. We need him prophesying to us. It's time to consider our ways. Maybe, maybe, it's time for us to take a good hard look at the things that bring God pleasure versus the things that bring Ben pleasure. Maybe that would be helpful for us. I'm proposing that when we involve ourselves in that which brings him pleasure, we might avoid some of the pitfalls that bring leanness of soul. And might actually give us, in fact I'm suggesting it will, give us a well-satisfied life. Think about, think about finding those things that brings God pleasure. And I have one, two, three, I have five verses here for us to consider. We're going to go through them kind of quickly here at the end. But we have, the first one is in Psalm chapter, oh, I missed, a, I missed a, a, a verse here. So following the second consider the ways, the prophet Haggai actually gives them a way forward. 
He says, go up to a mountain and cut some wood and bring it back to the house, back to the temple, and I will take pleasure in it. I'll be glorified, says the Lord. You go up there, you cut down some wood, you bring it back here, you repair my temple. Now, let's go to the, some of these other verses. Psalm 149, verse 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. So I see two things there that we can consider in finding God's pleasure. First of all, spend more time with his people. He takes pleasure in his people, it says. Those are the kind of people you want to spend more time with, God's people. And then he says, he will beautify the meek with salvation. How about uh, endeavoring to become more meek? Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. So let's ask ourselves, what does our fear of God look like? Are we more concerned about the fear of man than we are the fear of God? For the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in them that hope in his mercy. Do you have much fear of God in our life? Ecclesiastes verse five, uh, chapter five, verse four. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. So we know God doesn't take a pleasure in a fool. But he takes pleasure in one who keeps his vows. When was the last time you thought about what you vowed to God? Whether it was your baptism, your marriage, or other promises you made God? He takes pleasure in those who keep their vows. Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God finds pleasure in having us on board, in having us in part of the, doing the kingdom, being part of the kingdom. He finds pleasure in us being involved. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to, see, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You and I were created for his pleasure. Is God getting what he created us for? Is God getting from us what he created us for? Let's kneel for prayer. <clears throat>